Welcome to What Would You Say You Do Here, a podcast for product managers. I am Katie Sally. I have been a product manager for about six years now. I work mainly at startups around Atlanta. So I've worked at Better Cloud, Pindrop, now at a company called CallRail, where we make marketing attribution software. And I really was excited about doing product when I first started out because I'd been in customer service for so long and I've heard about problems from customers, you know, angry, yelling people who wanted me to fix their problem. And I really was excited about joining products so that I could find solutions to problems before customers called and yelled about them. And I'm Aaron Zerlip, another product manager here in Atlanta. And I've also been uh, been doing product for about eight years now. And I got into product because I started off doing software consulting and working with giant software that was terrible. Uh, we could tell that the makers of it lacked any real empathy for their users. And I wanted to change that. So uh, yeah, I've worked for a number of startups and other larger companies from Cabbage to Pindrop and now I'm at Samsara. All right, well today we're gonna be talking about misconceptions and stereotypes. So what is a product manager? And more importantly sometimes, what is a product manager not? So let's start with the not side. I think the biggest one is, uh, or the first one we wanna talk about anyway. No, I'm not a project manager. All right, to be fair, I do have a PMP. But that doesn't mean I'm going to build a Gantt chart for you, nor does it mean that I want to maintain schedules for every single project that crosses my product's purview. I think this is a hard one because uh, most product managers are perfectly capable of project managing. In fact, a lot of us have done it in previous careers. And, And it's an essential part of the job to be able to get a project across the finish line and make sure that deadlines are hit. But it's also only one small piece of the job. You are also the decision maker, whereas a project manager is not necessarily a project manager is someone who is driving timelines rather than solutions. Sounds good to me. This is kind of one of my favorite ones. I feel like the mini CEO, it was like this sales pitch that we all got from recruiters when we all started doing product. Yeah, or what every like book about product management tries to convince you that product management is really like. Yes, exactly. But the problem with it is there's already a CEO and he's getting paid the big bucks and the company really doesn't need two of them. And really, I mean, you don't truly own the roadmap. You're more like a steward of it uh, for the time being. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it because you're not making all the decisions. You're making sure that the decisions are made by the right people and you're giving them all the information that they need to make those decisions. Yeah, right. So it is. it does involve getting the right people in the room at the same time, presenting them with those facts, and hopefully coming to some sort of consensus on the direction you need to go in. Yeah, agreed. Not to mention you're not the only PM, right? Uh, there's usually a bunch of others uh, from other like tangential product areas or product lines. So yeah, you kind of are competing sometimes for resources or funding or I don't know, marketing attention. Yeah, that's a good point. That's not to say that you aren't bringing something to the table. You have to demonstrate value. You have to provide data. You have to provide feedback from the customer. But you're kind of bringing all of these pieces of data and and people together to make that decision, you know, as a group, as stakeholders, and sometimes ultimately with the real CEO being the final word. No, I'm not a scrum master. 
Aaron, I believe you are actually a scrum master. Technically, I am a certified <laughs> scrum master. True. But that's a very little part of my job. Also, it's not part of my job that I want to be doing all the time. I have a theory that you can tell how healthy an organization is by who's doing their scrum, who's leading their ceremonies. It seems like in organizations that I've been in the past, if the product manager is doing all of the ceremonies and they're solely responsible for them, then that means that they're not actually doing the other part of their job, the big part of their job. Their time is completely focused on those project milestones, which makes them more of a project manager. Yeah, if your time is getting like largely consumed by the kind of tactical and the daily decisions, you're probably not spending enough time focusing on the long term. All right, and along those lines, oh wait, did we finish? I think we finished. Okay. Um, I don't remember. <laughs> Is that white claw? Is that white claw? Um, no, I'm not your Jira admin. So this one is funny because you and I were talking about this earlier, and we've both been Jira admins at pretty much every company that we've worked at. Yeah. But so it's more a product of necessity because like we needed to get something done. Like I needed to spin up a new project, and no one was going to do it for me. Like, absolutely. By the end of the day, so I had to figure out how to do it on my own. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's probably an important caveat in that. We should not be solely responsible for admining Jira. It's a huge undertaking and could probably be a full-time job if it's done well. You know, if you really customize Jira the way that it should be, that's a full-time job. And if you're doing that, then you're not doing product management. Exactly. And no, I will not build you custom permission schemes ever again. (laughs) However, it is handy to know the ins and outs of a tool like that that you're using so closely so that you can build custom reports, custom dashboards as they're needed. Although ideally you've got an IT team who manages it and knows it well enough to do that for you. That would be nice, wouldn't it? That would be nice. Here's one that I believe is your favorite topic, PowerPoint. Describe your life story in slide format. (laughs) A frequent request for product managers. Why does everything need to be in a slide deck? Like, can't I just write a paragraph or an email? Or like, does no one respect prose anymore? I feel like there's some commentary on uh, today's attention spans or something like that. People can no longer read a document. They have to have it presented in three to five bullet points with a GIF of a funny cat. Yeah, right. And while animations were a bit taboo for a while, I feel like they're making a comeback. They are, for sure. I think they do grab your attention along with the Baby Yoda gif and, yeah, the mandatory Dilbert cartoon, right? Oh, of course. Gotta have Dilbert in there. But, yeah, I mean, I feel like there should be, we should have a little bit more leeway to describe what we need to do in whatever medium is appropriate. And sometimes it's not a PowerPoint deck. I think we do our customers and our audience a disservice by assuming they can only consume information in bullet point format. It does limit the amount of information that you're giving as well. PowerPoint is meant to be a presentation and the whole purpose of only including a few bullet points is that you're going to be in front of your audience and you're going to be presenting them with the data in, you know, speaking to them in the room. And I feel like so much of what we're asked to do is to send off a PowerPoint so that it can be presented by someone else or to an audience over email or something, and you miss that in-the-room discussion where you're adding a whole lot more information. Agreed. But it seems like 
a lot of times people just ask for that as a, as a quick and easy way to get a couple of pieces of information. And this brings up another fun topic, a uh, favorite topic of mine. No, I'm not an errand boy for sales. <laughs> um, I'm not going to just whip up a quick PowerPoint deck uh, for you because I have nothing better to do. Yeah. Um, and no, I don't think that's going to actually close the deal. Because we're not marketing. We have marketers, we have product uh, marketers, we have people who are dedicated to figuring out how to pitch this stuff to our market. They spend all day looking at the market and the marketplace and figuring out who our ideal customer is and how to sell them on services that we already have. And that's not our job and we're not the experts in it. I would concur. Did you really just say you'll concur? I, (laughs) I did. How about this one? I'm not an admin for the engineers during brainstorming. <laughs> I think this goes on our list of things that we wish we weren't, but we often end up doing by default. It's just one of those things where, you know, if we don't do it, it won't get done. Yeah. Uh, and just because I won the handwriting award in fourth grade doesn't mean that I'm the one best suited for every retrospective in terms of note taking. Yeah, I've seen your handwriting. It's uh I think I peaked in fourth grade. Pretty sure about that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like this is one of those things where if no one else is gonna do it, the product manager ends up doing it so that it gets done. And that's fine. And sometimes that's just what needs to be done. But ideally everyone in the room has a responsibility to make sure that the points that happen, that come up during a meeting, that solutions that are decided on are disseminated to the correct people. And it's not just the responsibility of any one person in the room. But yes, we're cursed with the organizational skills that we are blessed with. (laughs) Unfortunately, yeah, we're always the ones who remember to do that. So true. To send the follow-up email with the notes from the meeting and the follow-up meeting to discuss those notes. Very true. Along those lines, uh, not being an errand boy for sales, I think Steve Jobs had the quote about the products that he, or features that he didn't build were almost as important as the ones that he did. And I feel like that is, for product managers, saying no sometimes is just as important as saying yes. Because sales will ask for whatever the customer is asking for on the phone. And that may not be the best thing for the feature. It may not be the best thing for the company. It may not even be the best thing for the customer. I mean, there's that old famous uh, Ford quote about if customers had their way, we'd have ended up with a faster horse instead of a car. Whereas, you know, customers just want the next thing that they can think of. We need to be thinking about what's actually going to solve their problem. Yeah. And I think an important part of that is understanding what their problem is in the first place. Uh, So I think that's a lot of what we do is listen to people, distill their issues or problems into maybe a root cause or single pain point and then figure out what is the best solution to address that. And I think that's a that's a really good point to bring up and it's also a really important distinction between or a really important distinction of why product is needed. Because sales is very focused on their particular job, which is closing the deal, that is important. We need them to do that. The company needs them to do that. But that means that they're not thinking a year or two years ahead. They're not thinking about the growth of the business. They're thinking about the moment. And we pay them to do that, and they're very good at it. But you need that product management focused to look at the big picture as well. Absolutely. Yeah, i got to connect like today's deal with the company's longer-term strategies. Yeah, absolutely. 
And along those lines, of course, uh, no, we can't give our products away for free. No, I wish I could. Yeah, that would be great. If it weren't for commissions, I know most salespeople would just give away everything for free. So true. Maybe some basic margin analysis uh, would be helpful to kind of bestow that information on the, the sales team. But uh, no, ultimately, this is a business, not a charity. We need to generate revenue and profits, ideally. Yeah, that would be good. Let's do that. In a perfect <laughs> world. <laughs> All right, well, we talked about what we're not. Some stereotypes about what product managers do that we don't actually do or shouldn't do. Or what we hate to do. What we hate to do. Good point. What about what we are? Uh, the voice of the customer. I think that's a good one. I think that's, you know, you hear that a lot in the industry when you read product management books, and I think it's true. I think it ought to be true. I think that it's very sad that a lot of us don't have time to do it. A lot of us don't have time to spend with customers. We are doing all those things that we just said in the list of stuff that we shouldn't be doing. You putting know, out fires. Putting out fires. Building and Jira projects. Running Scrum and, and, and all of that good building stuff. building slide decks. Yep. So it leaves you less time to actually work with the customers, which means that you don't understand their problems as closely as you could if you were talking to them more often. Yeah, and don't be afraid of just speaking to a few customers and thinking that you need to connect with every single customer simultaneously. Yeah, that's a good um, point. You know, just having insights from a few, a handful, three to five, uh, is a good range. will generally kind of point you in the right direction, I think. Uh, one company that I worked with, we were encouraged to have kind of um, a group of customers that we had a personal relationship with that we could ask questions of anytime we needed. So, you know, you were encouraged to form these relationships. And if that was, you know, needing to take a customer out to lunch or send them a gift or whatever, you could do that. And that allowed you to be able to call them up and say, you know, hey, I've got this question about this feature that I'm working on. Do you have a few minutes to talk to me? So that that was a good way to do it. And it took a little bit less time than, say, you know, go talk to 25 customers, you know, in this 20 second interview that you get to ask three questions. So you get to know someone a little bit more in depth. So I think there's multiple ways to do it. You don't have to follow any one particular pattern. Yeah, I actually have a personal OKR I'm working on this year where I want every week I want to talk to a customer on the phone and then I write down what did I talk about and what did I learn. Um, and so far, I am two for two in the second week of January. Nice. Yeah. Crushing it over here. <laughs> Great job. All right. So another one is being a good uh, product manager is being a good storyteller. Yes. You mean writing good user stories, right? No, 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 no. But wait, there's more. No, I don't think that, uh, that we're just talking about the as I, I want to, so that. I think that that format has a really good place and it's especially important if you're not sure how to write a story. It kind of helps you focus in on what you're actually trying to say. Um, but I think being a good storyteller is about really knowing what problem you're trying to solve and knowing how to communicate that to the engineering department, to the engineer who's actually going to work on this solution. Yeah, I think a lot of it is not only communicating what it is you're building, but why and like what pain point are you really solving by doing this. Yeah. And making sure that your engineers understand that. Because I think that for me is what has really helped motivate my team currently 
to really kind of want to dig in further and solve the problems in the best way possible. Yeah, that's a really good point too, is that I, I do think some product managers make the mistake of, of making a user story a little too dry. Um, and maybe they are just sticking to the template so closely that they're forgetting about the point of it, which is, is really telling you why you're doing this. Yeah. And it's okay to throw a little humor in your user stories. I like a, a little anecdote about why Sally, the sales manager, is so sad. <laughs> are we going to get back to Baby Yoda gifts? Maybe. <laughs> That's in my next slide. All right. Well, what about being a subject matter expert? Uh, I mean, you've got to be the subject matter expert of your product, right? Uh, you need to be able to speak intelligently. And if you don't know, at least you need to know where to look to find the answers. That's a really good one. And I think that's when, when I was starting out, it was definitely something that scared me. You know, if someone asked me a question and I didn't know the answer. Um, whereas now a little bit, you know, farther along in my career, if I don't know the answer, I just go find it. And then it's, it's just as important to have those relationships with other departments so that you can ask those questions as it is to know the answers. Yeah. And that definitely means not only knowing your customers, but knowing the market more generally, understanding the competition. What do they know about your customers? How are they solving their problems and learning what you can from them? Yeah, that's a really good point. You can't just know your own product. You have to know how your product interacts with the other products within your organization and how it impacts the market, how it's going to impact future sales. It's all it's all very important to understand. But if you're not the subject matter expert, surely you're the expert in customer behavior now. Uh, I think that that is a very good goal for product managers to have. I don't know that this is probably one of those that we don't all have a lot of time to do a lot of time to really spend time with customers, um, spend time you know, watching those full story walkthroughs of the product, um, but we should. We should know, yeah, so you, you really should know how your customer's interacting with your product. You should know that at a very intimate level. Um, you should be able to say, you know, when you, when you move a button around, how is it gonna impact the customer? Because you know their workflow so well. You know what they do as soon as they get into the app. Yeah, and ultimately, what is, why are they using your app in the first place? And what are they going to do when they're done using it? Very good point. What about communication? I always feel like this is one of those essential parts of being a product manager. Yeah, well, you need to be able to organize your thoughts, communicate them in a way that both engineers and customers in the construction industry can understand, right? And, and podcast to, listeners. And you, all your thoughts. Thousands or thousands of podcast listeners. Seem realistic. I'm not saying millions, um, <laughs> but yeah, you, you need to be able to be clear and concise and thorough. You've got to be able to write. I like to write down every idea that I get throughout the day or my week when I'm talking to customers or when I'm just in the shower, and uh, that's sort of what keeps me fresh on just learning to communicate ideas and document them thoroughly so that me of the future remembers what the hell me of last week was thinking. Yep, that's good. That's very good. I think you also have to know how to communicate with various different personality types. And the, the next thing that we have on here is being a good negotiator. And, and you know, part of communication in our job where we're talking to all of these very different groups that tend to attract different personality types 
is learning to negotiate with them. You know, product manager's job is to bring together all of the stakeholders and get them on the same page about a roadmap, a feature, a solution, whatever it is. And learning how to communicate and negotiate is very important. Yeah, right. Because ultimately, sales wants you to promise and commit features tomorrow. Customers want that feature today. And engineers know that they're never going to have time to build that feature given the current roadmap. And you have to get all of these people to agree and you've got to get it done without them hating you. Actually, I guess, you know, it's probably okay if they hate you as long as they get it done. Yes. Well, I'm trying to, there's a story, not a story. Who is it that's, oh, would always say like, you know, you're doing your job right when everyone hates you. (laughs) But yeah, you can learn a lot from those who don't know things. Maybe not as much as those who do know. It's much better to get everyone to agree than to constantly be fighting people who don't agree. Well said. Uh, But obviously, in order to do all this, to meet these deadlines and be a swift negotiator, you need to be pretty well organized. How do you flex that organizational muscle? I happen to have a color-coding system of Post-it notes on my desk that might look like something out of a psycho killer's diary. It uh, it makes sense to me, and it tells me when I need to do things and what's most important, and it's like a little mini psychotic Kanban board on my desk. That's amazing, and and for me, I never write anything down. I used to have a notebook, and everything went into it, and then I found that as soon as I turned the page to a new page, I would forget what was on the previous page, so I've stopped doing that, and now everything is digital. I make a lot of lists. Um, I usually have a running to-do list somewhere either in email or it's in Drive or something like that. I also treat my inbox as a to-do list. So, you know, I try and get my inbox down to zero. If I have any items in there, then I know that it's to-do items that I have to get done. I make a lot of reminders. If there's something that I know I need to do later today, but I can't get to it right now, uh, I make a reminder to do it so that I don't forget. My inbox is currently at 1,200. How does that make you feel? <laughs> um, gives me heartburn. <laughs> How can, can we look at that? Can we fix that? No. Oh, my gosh. Oh, they're on red, too. Yeah. Wow. I don't know how you live like that. I really don't. I just kind of ignore things. I'm a searcher. I just know what I search for the things that are important. And if they're not important enough for me to remember them, someone will hopefully remind me when they need it. I think I've got something like 15 or 20 emails in my inbox right now, and that's a lot for me. And it's only because it's the new year and, you know, things bled over from the holidays. Yeah, I can't live like that. What do you do with all your Jira notification emails? Oh, see, that's where the organization comes in. you got to have folders. So Jira notifications go to one place or um, my company's target process. So those all go to one place. Honey Badger notifications go somewhere else. And so I have it so that anything that's in my inbox is actually just to me or, you know, me and other people, but it's an actual actionable email and not just some kind of notification. Mm. So you got to, you got to use those filters. <laughs> I filter, but then I just never look at my, my folders and then they just all waste away. Uh, well, how do you deal with Slack? Oh, gosh, that's a whole other podcast episode, Katie, <laughs> on Slack. Techniques. No, it really is. I can't stand the little unread on Slack. I have to read everything immediately when it comes in. I don't understand how you get anything done. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't. I don't know. No, I um, I mute any channel that's noisy. 
that does not apply to me. So, you know, we've got our random channels and just like discussions on movies and stuff like that. Those channels are always muted. And if I need a break from work and I go look and read in one of those and catch up on what's been said since I've been gone. So the only stuff that's unmuted is stuff that I really do need to pay attention to. Yeah, so just will it down to the 150 most important channels. Exactly, yeah. And you'll be fine. I don't understand why that's a problem. No. <laughs> Uh, but so you have to be both big picture kind of person, but you also have to be detail oriented. How do you balance the two of those? Oh, well, that's not a contradiction at all, is it? No. <laughs> I have to be able to see the grain of sand as well as the entire solar system. So it's like being God. Kind of. Yeah. But with no power. Yeah. That's, that's a very good description of product management. No, I think I've, I think I've said this in pretty much every interview I've ever been in, either on either side of the table. If I was interviewing a product manager or if I was interviewing for a product management role, the juxtaposition of you know detail-oriented, small needs of the moment versus long-term big picture is something that a product manager really needs to understand very well. And unfortunately, that's it's kind of hard to teach that. I think it tends to be a personality type, but I'm sure that it is something that you can learn or get better at just with practice. Yeah, and I think having been through a few product life cycles definitely teaches you about the long term as well as the importance of the short term. Yeah, and I think it also probably involves cutting out as much noise as possible so you can focus on the stuff that's important. You don't need to think about big picture for everything, and you don't need to think about detail for everything. Make sure you're focused on your product, the stuff that's adjacent to your product, your market, that kind of thing. So we didn't really touch on prioritization, but I feel like that might be the most important skill set of a successful product manager. Yeah, and I think that ties into a lot of the stuff we're talking about here where you're, you're looking at detail, you're looking at organization, and probably even to a certain extent communication and negotiation because you have to understand what the business sees as a priority, what all the other departments see as a priority so that you can set your own priority. Based on that. I tried something today for the first time. I told people who were asking for me to deal with an urgent issue to schedule a meeting with me for next week because I'm focusing on higher level programming at the moment in terms of building out our roadmap and the program that we're going to follow, I guess. That's Uh, amazing. I've never done that before and it felt really good. No, that's such a great idea because it gives them the opportunity to think about how urgent their issue really is. And, you know, if the sky is really falling and it's something that you need to drop what you're doing, it does make them think about, okay, no, this is, I'm going to interrupt him. It's really important. Or, no, it can probably wait till next week. Yeah. That's great. So you have to have ideas, right? Yes. You have to have ideas. And this is, this is something that I struggle with. Not that I don't have ideas, but getting them organized. It, it's like I, I read I read something and I wish I could remember by who. Uh, it was advice to product managers about having ideas and treating it like you're an author who has writer's block and just writing stuff down every single day. And I definitely don't do that. I could get better about it. Yeah. Something I've been doing for a little while now is just writing down every product idea I have. 
and just constantly reprioritizing it. And so it's like almost like my little product idea journal that I keep. And it, you know, every time I look at it, it sort of forces me to kind of re- reprioritize what I think is the top. But I slowly move items up to the top. And this is true whether it's like a personal project or like an actual work project. And once things get to I have like a certain cut line. And once they cross the cut line, then I actually will like invest serious time into like researching it. And I find that very helpful. It's a good practice is to like always write down good ideas. And the bad ones will naturally like kind of fall to the bottom. And then, you know, the ones I know I'm never going to do, I just delete after a while. But they're also good reminders of what I once thought was a good idea. That is such a good idea. I Mine tend to go in the black hole of my backlog. So I, I will put it into our ticketing system, you know, if, if, it's, a, if it's an idea tangentially related to my team or my products, I will put it into our backlog. And then when we go through backlog grooming, I look at it again and decide if I need to actually, you know, flesh out the idea a little bit more. Um, but a lot of times, you know, they end up in kind of a black hole and nothing ever gets done with them. So I really like the idea of a journal. It's a really good idea. But you knew that. I, I knew that. So would you say it's important to have an opinion or to care about the solution? Or should you be more agnostic? I feel like you have to have an opinion. And this is something that my current boss where I work now has actually mentioned on multiple occasions, challenging all of us on the product team to have an opinion and to, you know, put that opinion out there. And you can't just, you know, base it on nothing. But with all of the various different inputs that we have as product managers, you know, the data that we're collecting from all of our stakeholders, from our customers, you know, from the application itself, we have the ability to kind of synthesize that and and form an opinion and advise the company on what we think we ought to do. I think it's not only important, I think it's essential to be a product manager. Yeah, and something I've been really been big into in the last few years is like the importance of having empathy for your customers and your users. And obviously a big part of that is like the pathos, like you have to care. Um, you have to have some feeling. And if you're not, if you don't have feeling, you're probably in the wrong business. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how you could do this job if you didn't actually care. It would be very exhausting work if you didn't care about the customer, care about the product, care about the company. So those are some misconceptions and stereotypes uh, that we have been fighting against and some stuff that we've both learned from our experience about what a product manager should be doing. Yeah, and while we might say that you don't do a lot of these things, the reality is, as a product manager, you have to be a little bit scrappy and quick on your feet, and sometimes you have to do things you've never done before. You may not be the best at them, but if you're the one who gets it done, that's all that matters. So, in my opinion, have ideas and care about them. Goodbye. I don't know how to sign this off. Product land. (laughs) We'll talk to you next time from product land. Ciao. Bye. Adios. (laughs) Adios.